Welcome to our third segment of this afternoon's program. It is Sunday, the 27th of February, 2022. It is now 2.24 p.m. in the studio. I'm your host, Kieran Murdoch. Uh, presently, there is increased talk about the issue of the minimum wage. It has been suggested that the uh, minimum wage ought to be adjusted upward uh, or that even um, we could have different categories of worker uh, which have or which uh, or in which there are different minimum wage rates applied uh, an advisory group is presently discussing the proposal according to the labor minister uh, mr steroy cutie benjamin uh, he discussed that issue with the media the fact that an advisory group was coming together uh, to give some feedback on the possibility that different sectors would be represented uh, in our discussion this afternoon uh, we want to try to uh, make simple for our audience the significance of the issue of the minimum wage rate um, in any economy and the peculiarities around uh, adjusting it. So on this segment, we ask what would raising the minimum wage achieve? Is it prudent at this time? And is it overdue? Uh, Mr. Jeremy Stephen joins us on Zoom. Uh, he is a Barbados-based economist and financial consultant. Uh, he lectures in banking and finance at the University of the West Indies, Cave Hill. Uh, good afternoon to you, Mr. Jeremy Stephen. Uh, how are you doing? I'm fine. Thanks for asking. I'm doing quite well. We have on the line, I believe, uh, Mr. Samuel James. Uh, he is president of the Antigua and Barbuda Free Trade Union. That's the ABFT. Uh, ABFT. Um, uh, you. you. Uh, Mr. Samuel James, how are you doing this afternoon? I'm fine, thank you. Good afternoon to you and everyone else. There's a little bit of background noise, um, a little bit of shh in your background. I'm not sure why. Um, Let me see if it's my fan. Hold a second. No problem. Yeah, it probably was. I think uh, it probably was. Uh, I'm, I'm, at the meantime, I'm going to introduce Mr. Peter Queeley. That, that is better? Yes, it is. It is, in fact. Uh, it was the fan, I believe. Uh, yes, okay. Mr. Queeley joins us on Zoom as well. Peter Queeley, he's a Montserrat-based economic and financial analyst and a social and political commentator. Uh, Mr. Peter Queeley worked with the Ministry of Finance uh, in the government of Antigua and Barbuda uh, in the areas of budgeting and economic management. Uh, he lectured in the areas of macro and microeconomics uh, and the Caribbean business environment, as well as banking and risk management uh, for the University of the West Indies uh, through the State College as well as the UE Open Campus. Uh, good afternoon to you, Mr. Peter Queeley. How are you doing? Good afternoon to you, Kieran, and to Observer Radio and the fellow uh, I, I wonder if I could begin with uh, Mr. Jeremy Stephen. Mr. Stephen, uh, I just want to get a sense from you uh, in broad economic terms, uh, if you could simplify it for me, um, the significance of the minimum wage rate and how that really functions in any economy. Uh, I mean, if a, if a, a, a government or, or any a sector in society is making uh, the argument that the minimum wage is too low, um, how does one know what is too low and what is too high? What is the purpose of the minimum wage? Well, from a macroeconomic perspective, it's rather difficult to set the minimum wage um, unless you look at the perspectives from a microeconomic standpoint. Uh, so I wouldn't necessarily go for it from that point of view, but rather, you know, the simplest way that, that people have done it, the simplest way that it was done in Barbados before it was introduced, was just having a nice idea or comprehensive idea of the cost of living in Barbados and constructively what salary would allow you to maintain a decent uh, cost of living. So that comes down to, from the simplest perspectives, what your macroeconomic objectives are. 
uh, what kind of rate would you like to see given the cost of living um, that people should be able to live with? And that would be adjusted obviously in line with, in, with current inflation targets or current inflation trends. Uh, but pretty much the whole idea of assembling a minimum wage is actually twofold. It's not just about being able to construct a good standard, I'm sorry about the noise in the background, a good standard of living, or a, a, I guess a consistent one that would be of with, with decent middle class or at least a good social safety net. However, the other end of the spectrum comes down to productivity. Um, because typically, if you do enforce minimum wages, the issue always for employers is taking on a higher wage bill. So therefore, the expectation is if the arguments are, are sufficient for minimum wages, that you should expect an increase in output in the society or in the country that's looking to implement uh, minimum wage. So I say that to say this. Uh, you know, as there are arguments or there will be arguments surrounding the implementation, successful or otherwise, of a national minimum wage, the, the argument should never just be looking at costing or the ability of a society to consume and you treat them as two separate arguments, but they're actually very much intertwined. Uh, if there's more consumption, Presumably, it means the private sector can benefit more and therefore, in theory, earn those wages. But I speak about that just from a main top-down perspective. In other words, I'm treating everything as equal. As you would recognize, there are some parts of society that pretty much will not be able to increase their productivity uh, based either on the component of labor that they have versus if they're more capital-intensive as companies like commercial banks would be versus more labor intensive but high output uh, companies such as those related to tourism. And actually that to end should be another consideration how much more uncompetitive your tourism product in Antigua will be as a result of a cost increase. But again, I wouldn't necessarily speak to that in isolation of other facts. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Samuel James, um, coming from a labor perspective, uh, I'm wondering what you, uh, what your views are on this move to uh, review the minimum wage to uh, consider whether or not it should be increased. Uh, do you think that is something that is overdue? Um, what are your thoughts? It's long overdue because based on the Antigua and Barbuda labor code, the intention of the minimum wage is that it should be reviewed um, every two years. And from my, the last minimum wage rate um, took effect, I believe, on about November um, 2015. No, no, January 2015. So if we're talking about 2015 to now, we're talking about the minimum wage rate should have been reviewed around three times. But um, here is it, 2022, we are still stuck at the minimum wage that was set um, for January 2015. So yes, we can agree that what the current state of the world economy, and more particularly the state of Antigua and Barbuda's economy, um, may suggest that um, it's not the most opportune time. But if we are going to be realistic, uh, we have to look beyond 
the difficulties that the country is facing and the difficulties that employers may be facing and look at what is the legal requirement. And the law state that um, the, the minimum wage really should have been reviewed on a uh, two-year basis, uh, which says long overdue. Um, in addition, it is common knowledge that um, in difficult times, um, business persons would increase their prices and things like that to accommodate for whatever fall off and things like that uh, that they may have. But one of the strange phenomena is that there always seems to be this resistance to take into account that whatever the difficulties in the economy is or are, the employees are also suffering the same effects. And there seems to be some hesitancy to always consider the increase of um, minimum wage rates and salary increases in general um, for employees. While the business persons are doing everything else, they're increasing their cost to the the consumers, the customers, so we are paying more monies, but for some reason there seems to be um, a, a situation where there is no priority to recognize that whatever the difficulties that the businesses are suffering as a result of um, COVID um, in particular, employees are suffering the same effects, if not um, more seriously than the businesses. And so I think it is very important for us to take note of the difficulties in the society, in the economy, but we should always do what the law requires to ensure that the employees are able to take care of themselves and their family, which is also another policy that is enshrined in the Antigua and Barbuda Labor Code, which pretty much states to the effect that whatever the working conditions are, they should be such that an, a workman should be able to care for himself and for his family. And I don't think that there can be any argument, just argument, that 2022 taking inflation and all other difficulties into account, that a workman would be able to take care of his or her family uh, on salary rates that existed since 2015. So yes, the time is difficult, but the time is now, the time is right for those employees to be given the requisite um, consideration. Mr. Peter Quilly, what do you think about this issue? And uh, I'm wondering, because when you uh, raise the, the, the minimum wage, that simply demands that, um, well, I suppose for anyone who was b being paid at the, the, the minimum wage rate, that they would earn more. But it doesn't necessarily mean that uh, their employer is in a position to pay them more. Um, so what do you make of, of, of the issue of, of negotiating a raise in a minimum wage? Well, I would start by saying that, um, you know, I live by the mantra that there is never a wrong time to do the right thing. And so if it is that the economy is as such, and, you know, in Antigua and Barbuda, there's a issue of imposed inflation and the cost of living is increasing and um, the workers are experiencing um, a higher cost of living, there is a demand there for the minimum wage to increase, and especially that the previous um, panelists have, you know, well said that the minimum wage was set somewhere in, in, in 2015. Um, yes, there is that impact right now on businesses. Um, the COVID-19 crisis has affected them also in the sense that volumes have been decreased. The profits have also been, have also been decreased also. And so businesses, yes, have been affected by 
the crisis along with, with workers. And I think that um, there needs to be some level of negotiation in the process. There doesn't have to be a sudden jump increase in the minimum wage. It could be agreed that it be implemented over a sliding scale. So if it's now $8.50 or $8.20 per hour in Antigua, it could move to $9 and then to, to $9.50 and then to, to 10 to 10 to, to 10 um over a period of maybe two or three three years um and so um i think there has to be some level of negotiation but yes i would also stress that both parties both the businesses and both the employers the employees are suffering at this time and so we have to be very very careful in how we go about this process um, Mr. Uh, Jeremy Stephen, and, and I'll just make a correction here um, uh, in the introduction when I said that you were a, a lecturer at the, the UE, uh, I ought to have used the past tense. You used to lecture uh, finance and, and, and banking at the University of the West Indies, Cavill. Um But I want to ask you, this suggestion has been made that there could be different classes of worker and uh, perhaps different wage rates. That's something that's being explored. What do you think about that? I'm actually not in support of a notion that says that you should have a different class of worker. I mean, from a macroeconomic perspective, that's going to create a lot of disturbances. From a practical perspective, it could result in a wide reclassification of worker to, uh, in a way that benefits immensely the owners of capital. So, I mean, I can understand the, the notion behind wanting to do so. In other words, it eliminates the issue where someone who's earning, I guess, a, I guess a middle class rate. It's not the best way to term it, to be honest, but uh, because I'm speaking subject to a lot of correction based on wage rates in Antigua and Barbuda, let's say the person is mid-tier management, and that pretty much could end up protecting their own interests. Um, but overall, because of the massive split, you could have, let's say, in the most uh, dotish of possibilities, a, a greater expense to any firm in Antigua and Barbuda if you had a wider or you had broader class, not broader, sorry, more distinct classifications of workers, especially in the event where all three um, rates have to be reclassified or have to be adjusted upwards. But obviously, in real life, that wouldn't be done, and it could match for a massive amount of distortion and labor unrest in particular, especially since what may very well be adjusted are those who are not the greatest when it comes to taxpayers uh, in terms of um, filling the public coffers on the bottom end. And then there's going to be, obviously, um, the issue pertaining to where no adjustments are happening mid-tier for like mid-tier salaries, and taxation may very well may be direct or indirect or whatever the case may be in Antigua's future. Um, might very well overburden said workers at, at, at the, well, overburden workers to the benefit of those who have had the adjustments. So that kind of distortion actually leads to a lot more complexities uh, down the line and is subject to a massive amount of abuse by the private sector. So it, it should be just a national or national minimum wage and adjustments will be made upwards as far as I'm concerned to higher salary levels or higher 
the rage rate levels. Mm. Uh, it typically works much better that way. It's easier to keep track of, of productivity if you are linking wage increases to productivity increases. And from a policy maker's point of view, it's much easier to do tax um, policy adjustments in line with having just a national rage rate and, and having all the adjustments being done within the private sector. It makes it a little more uniform and therefore to throw this economic term out there, uh, the taxes would be less so regressive in nature than if it were applied using that tiered method or suggested tiered method of, uh, of, of, of minimum wages different salary levels. Uh, Mr. Samuel James, um, that comment about um, uh, uh, the idea of different wage rates, it was a comment from the Labour Minister uh, when he discussed uh, the, the work of the committee or the, the, the work the committee would be doing. Um, I, I'm wondering what you think about it. And uh, he did mention hoteliers. Um, so uh, the idea came into my mind. I'm wondering if uh, in the minds of uh, a certain persons, they're wondering if perhaps if you have a certain industries where the view is that um, workers, uh, the industry can afford to pay their workers more, um, but overall, nationally, that may not be the case across all industries, uh, that you might want to create some sort of special classification that allows that. But of course, Mr. Stephen discussed some of the, the problems and distortions that might occur when you start um, having different minimum wage classifications for different types of, of, of job. But, but what, what do you think, Mr. Samuel James? Okay, yes. Um, uh, firstly, for the um, use of the general public, it may be important to note that the first sets of minimum wage, which were approved in Antigua and Barbuda, took that very same route um, by industry and by occupation. And so there were multiple pages upon pages of minimum wages um, based on um, the particular industry and in particular occupations. And in fact, if one looks at the Antigua and Barbuda Labour Code at um, Division C21 and 22, clearly there is no provision for a single minimum wage rate within the state of Antigua and Barbuda. When one reads um, the particular sections of the code, it speaks to um, minimum wages and occupations. And so the intention from the onset was that you would have various minimum wages in different industries for different occupations. And why that is critically important, I can accept um, what was being said by my colleague um, in terms of um, it's easier to have a single minimum wage, but sometimes easier does not necessarily mean better. In this case, easier um, could put some employees at a significant disadvantage. For example... The question is, would it be fair to have a single minimum wage? And when we are putting a minimum wage, we tend to, to find uh, the lower end um, rate, uh, which normally would reflect certain positions like, for example, domestic-related um, workers and maybe clerks who wor work in a, a clothing store and things along those lines. We tend to find a figure that normally fits in with that group of workers. However, within the state of Antigua and Barbuda, there are many different industries, many different occupations, many different levels of, of work. For example, would, one, would it be fair to have a minimum wage of, let's say, what we have now, $8.20, which is normally reflective of um, the wage rates paid to store clerks, 
security officers, would that rate be a fair rate in, let's say, for example, the construction industry? And I would hasten to say, no, it could not be a fair minimum wage. In fact, I don't think you will find a laborer in construction making anywhere in the region of $8.20 per hour. And so the general practice within the society itself would dictate that if we are going to set a minimum wage, it has to be something that is done throughout industries for various positions where you will do full investigation, look at the extent and the nature of the job, look at the extent and the nature of the business, um, the income earning potential of the particular business. We, we have to look at a whole range of things. And simply finding one rate would not and could not address the wide cross-section of industry and occupations that falls within the state. But perhaps most critically, when we, we, one we rate, do have one rate now, though, right? Yes. Okay. We we have had one rate for many years, and I believe that the reason for that was it was easier to do one rate. Whether it was fairer, whether it was better, I don't think those were taken into account, and it places so many um, employees at a disadvantage. And it's something that we need to correct. Uh, that is how the code was. Um, devised in 1976. That is how the minimum wage rates actually started, how we got to the point of having a single rate, which is not a reflective rate um, within the society. Um, it's a little beyond me, uh, but um, we need to go back to what the law intended. And the law definitely intended that we'd have different minimum wage rates across industries, across occupations. And we need to comply with the law and not anything else. Well, let me ask Mr. Peter Queeley what he thinks about this issue. Um, I'll also ask him, uh, Mr. Queeley, in terms of measures outside of adjusting the minimum wage that should affect what employers in certain industries consider a standard to pay their workers, um, I assume that collective bargaining uh, and, and, and organized labor would have a, a significant role to play uh, in terms of what different uh, classes of worker in different industries would expect to be paid uh, at a minimum level, uh, even above the minimum wage. Uh, but, but, but what sort of forces affect that uh, outside of the minimum wage? Well, let me start by um, saying that I agree with um, the first um, panelist in that there should be one national minimum wage. Um, if you look at the way how the well, most countries would have constructed the minimum wage, it would have been done via a cost of living survey and a cost of business survey. And some, and, and some countries also do national surveys and so you would get a fair idea um, across all industries as to what is the price floor um, that a laborer, a labor person would, would, would be able to, um, to, to, or should be able to, to, to live at, um, irrespective of what sector that laborer works in. And so just the construction itself of the minimum wage and the process that goes through in determining it, um, you know, leads me to have the, the understanding that it applies across all sectors. Now, if you're speaking about um, the wage determinant 
per industry, then for me, that has to be determined by where the labor skills and the labor education and the, the forces of supply and demand and wage negotiation and so forth. Those things are what factors into the whole issue of determining where the wage level goes um, per industry or per sector. Um, certainly you may have, um, for example, if you demand, let's say, um, a chef um, in, the, in the tourism industry, that's the highly skilled person. And you know definitely that when you negotiate with somebody for, the, for that kind of skill, you don't have to pay a, a, a higher wage. And so I think that Antigua and Barbuda is sufficiently developed in this labor market that we can just set a national minimum wage and allow the of, of, of market demand and supply in the labor industry to determine where we go as far as wages go from that upward minimum. Um, but I just want to also stress also that, um, and to, to, to repeat that the nature of the environment that we operate in in Antigua and Barbuda means that we suffer from imported in inflation. And so both workers and um, businesses, especially the small businesses, would be affected by this. And I don't think that the, that the government operates its salaries at a, at a minimum wage. So I'm, I'm not quite sure as to what the effect it would be on the fiscal resources of the Antigua and Barbuda government. But definitely I know that some private businesses, especially the security firms, um, I would think the, 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 the domestic um, sector also, the retail sector, and um, I think that some people also um, exploit non-nationals by paying them lower than uh, minimum than what they're supposed to be paid. And so, um, you know, we need to really look carefully at that and ensure that wherever we go into setting the new minimum wage, that it covers those people and that there's some level of enforcement to to ensure that um, you know that the that and that person stick to um, what the law says. Well, for some crude math, and um, I stand to be corrected by anyone because, yeah, math. Anyway, um, if you are working at Antigua's minimum wage rate for, let us say, um, eight hours a day, five days a week, uh, four weeks, um, that would put you, I think, at $1,312. Uh, um, uh, let me bring back in um, Mr. Jeremy Stephen. Uh, Mr. Stephen, uh, I wonder um, the impact of the or of any adjustment of the minimum wage would really depend on how many people are actually earning at, at, at the minimum wage rate, would it not? Uh, not exactly. Again, it really comes down to legislation. And and I, I guess by now, everybody figured out that I'm not Antiguan, but I do have familiarity with this space, but not enough to trump any of the other gentlemen on the call. And so what I'm about to say might be very subject to correction. It, it, it very much comes down to how policymakers define an adjustment. So, for instance, Barbados finally introduced the minimum wage after many years of it being bounced around. And one of the greatest concerns was whether the any adjustments in the minimum wage would feed through the salary scale and wage rates for any earners above the minimum wage. So, for instance, if the minimum wage is adjusted by 5%, would it be mandated that uh, mid-tier salary or let's say a higher level management salary 
would be adjusted at least by that amount or at most by that amount. And really and truly that was left to the private sector pretty much to determine in conjunction with unions having a sufficient presence in Barbados. So I say that to say this, really and truly the best mechanism that comes to my mind is that uh, which involves the private sector being aware of its costs, the private sector at the very least adjusting the minimum wage if it chooses to pass through, and I speak subject to correction here with respect to the legislation we are speaking about, but um, that the if there are any adjustments that feed through to higher salary levels than that or wage levels higher than that, then that is a matter for the unions and the private sectors uh, if it's broad-based or whatnot. And that system tends to work sufficiently once enough information is being shared between parties. Generally then, just to get to the crux of the question, um, one would expect that you know, wage increases do lead to some form of inflation. It's not in small open economies, especially those found in the OECS and Barbados and even, believe it or not, Trinidad and Tobago and Jamaica and Guyana, Belize, it's essentially CARICOM and whatnot. You, you would expect that a minute, minute proportion of your inflation comes from salary adjustments. In fact, uh, the whole idea or accusation regionally of of business persons fixing prices in anticipation of inc price increases uh, that may not actually happen in reality, especially from those related to wage adjustments. You know, those, for lack of a better term, are very insignificant compared to the effect that shipping costs have regionally and also broad-based inflation in our source markets, uh, not for tourists, but source markets for imports. So suffice to say, yes, you would always expect some bit of an upturn, but it's not going to be as significant, A, or B, as determinate as, as what would happen when you have a, a adjustment in prices externally from Antigua and Barbuda and also related to shipping costs. Um, uh, coming back to you, Mr. Samuel James, um, a lot of people uh, uh, might uh, react to the issue of the minimum wage, um, especially maybe small traders uh, who might employ one or two people at, at, at minimum wage rates, um, might say that, you know, as, as we've discussed on this panel, uh, the inflationary costs of, of, of living in an economy where, you know, we import everything, we import a lot, um, and those costs going up. Uh, that to have an, an increase in the minimum wage, um, you know, might affect the extent to which they really, they are really able to operate and to, to, to hire as many persons as they can, even at those low rates, um, if they're in a situation where they're, they're really operating on, on the line, they're operating on the bare minimum. Is that a concern for you at all? To survive um, within our shores. However, uh, Salary rate, wage rate, is a is a is a factor of production, and it's it's a cost of doing business. And so, if we if we have um, businesses that are not able to pay the basic minimum to the employees, then the, the question is whether or not really and truly. And it may sound a little harsh, but the question is whether or not um, that 
person or persons um, is ready to do business. Because um, if, you, if you're not able to sustain your wages, and we are not talking about market price um, wages, we are talking about what is deemed to be the minimum that anybody should work for in the country at any particular point in time. If you are doing business and you can't pay the minimum, I don't think that we can say that is a business that um, really should be in operation. Because um, at the end of the day, when one is putting mechanisms in place to establish a business, you take several things into account. And one of those um, factors that is taken into account is what are you going to be required to pay your employees, if you have employees. And it means that if you are not in a position to pay your employees, it means that um, you are not yet ready um, to do business. Uh, at the least, you may have to find yourself in a situation where, you, as the business owner, you provide your own labor along with family members until such time you are in a position to pay the minimum. But at the end of the day, we still have to go back to what the law states. And what the law states is that uh, the working conditions, um, making reference to um, the earnings, um, should be those which would provide for the employee and the employee's family. And so um, if an employee is not in a position to pay that minimum, I don't think um, we can say anything other that that person is not ready for, for doing business um, under the circumstances. Um, but yes, we would want businesses to exist for as long as possible. But it has to be done from the standpoint that you must be able to meet your minimum requirement, chief among them, or, well, importantly among them, would be the payment of wages and salaries. Let me, um, let me pause you because, uh, unfortunately, we do have to end it there. Uh, Mr. P Mr. Peter Quigley, I wonder if I could give you just a few seconds if you want to give us a final word. Uh, what would you leave us with? Um, in terms of my final word, um, I think we are currently in Monstruck going through a similar process of looking at, um, well, for, in our case, it's, uh, it's, it's, it will be the first time that we're setting a minimum wage. And one of the concerns that some people have expressed is the fact that um, it's setting that wage, whether or not um, employees and small businesses um, may be affected to the extent that they may wish to, or they may find themselves having to lay off a worker or two. Um, it's a dynamic situation we're operating um, not in normal times, we're operating in times which are affected by the COVID-19 pandemic and costs have been in increasing. And so I believe to myself that when we sit down to discuss stuff like the minimum wage, we should have all persons at, at, the, at the table. And those should include both the unions, both the, the employees and both the employers' federation. Mm. And so once you have that, um, that discussions um, and, and persons come to a, a, a certain agreement, there should not be that much distortions when the, when the national minimum wage is set. Very well. Uh, we say thank you to all three of our guests as we leave this segment here. Uh, Mr. Jeremy Stephen, of course, a Barbados-based economist and financial consultant. Uh, Mr. Samuel James, president of the Antigua and Barbuda Free Trade Union. And Mr. Peter Queeley, a Montserrat-based economic and financial analyst as well as a social and political commentator. Uh, we thank all three of you for joining us this afternoon.